Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, we're finishing this morning our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We started a long time ago, and we, got, we went through it, uh, started at the very beginning. Of course, then we go verse by verse, passage by passage, and we've gone through this, and it's really great, and so we've been seeing it. What we're going to do today is sort of wrap it up. We're gonna, yeah, look, we looked at the overview, and now we're going to kind of put the whole thing together. And as we look at it, we're going to see the Gospel of Matthew. we want to see the theme and the flow and the key areas of Matthew. We'll end with some very practical application for our study. We realize that God's Word is perfect, and we have the privilege to study it, to know it, and to apply it, and then to pass it on to others. As you know, you've heard me say many, many times, the Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the King, and we'll see that, especially as we go through it this morning in our study. Well, in America, we don't really understand royalty. I mean, I had a uh, two friends, a guy was the name of Paul Woods and his wife Nadine. Now, Paul was from Great Britain and she was from China. They met originally in Great Britain and then they came to America, got married. I got to do their wedding. They went to Oklahoma State and of course he grew up in England and he said, you, you don't understand. He said, you don't understand Queen Mum. You don't understand Prince Charles. You don't understand the Duke and the Duchess. You don't understand what it means there and to bow down and those kind of things. Well, you know, in the United States, we don't think that way. We, we have great respect for the offices, especially the office of president, that kind of things. But we're not thinking about bowing down and that kind of thing. But there's one thing for sure. When Jesus Christ comes again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. As you think about it, Jesus Christ, he's, the first time he came to the earth, he came to the earth, he offered himself as the king of Israel. He offered himself to the nation of Israel. He came into his own, and his own received him not, John 1.11. And the nation of Israel rejected him, so he died on the cross to pay for sin, rose again, ascended back into heaven. He will come a second time to the earth as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm 2 says he'll rule with a rod of iron. He'll come and set up a kingdom that'll last for a thousand years. We've seen the chart many, many times. First coming to Jesus Christ, he came to die on the cross to pay for sin. He uh, offered himself as the king to the nation of Israel. They rejected him. He died and rose again and ascended into heaven. We're in the church age now. There'll be a rapture. Some, it could be any second. But the second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We'll be coming with him. His first coming was to die. His second coming is to reign. He will set up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years. We call that the millennial kingdom. At the end of that thousand years, there'll be a judgment. And then he'll have an eternal kingdom which we call the new heavens and the new earth. And so when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus as the king. He is, and the gospel of Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king, the king of the Jews, and ultimately the king of the whole earth. And so as we close this study, as we, and we've been going through it for a pretty long time now, and we've gone through it verse by verse, passage by passage, uh, we've seen his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his commission. We've seen all those things. Before we get into it and just kind of give you the big overview, let me raise some questions. And if you've been at Stillwater Bible for any of the time, you already know the answers to some of these. But let me just raise this question because a lot of people sometimes wonder about this. Why are there four Gospels? Because when you think about it, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That, and when you look in the New Testament, a lot of people, they get the Bible and they might say, well, I'm going to go to the New Testament part first because that, that's the new, not the old. And they'll read and they'll have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and those books are called the Gospels. And there are four of them. And some people would say, why are there the four Gospels? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke pretty much carry along the same flow. Gospel of John is a little bit different. Gospel of John sold seven signs that Jesus did. Matthew, Mark, and Luke go together. And some people say, why are, these, why are there four books? Well, here's what we realized, that in you go back to the Old Testament, and if you looked in the Old Testament and you were looking for the coming Messiah, the promises about the Messiah, there are four aspects or four views of the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9 tells that the Messiah would be the king. 
Zechariah 9.9 says the king actually comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And so Zechariah says the Messiah would be the king. When you read Isaiah, and especially Isaiah 42, and there are five servant passages in the book of Isaiah, but Isaiah 42, the Messiah would be a servant. And so if you study that, you would see the coming Messiah would be a servant. And then if you looked in Isaiah, and this is the verse that I read earlier in Isaiah 7, it says the Messiah would be a person that would be born of a virgin, would be a child, and it's a man and a person. And then Isaiah 9, uh, which I also read, said that the Messiah would be God. He would be the everlasting father, the prince of peace, uh, that kind of thing. And so when you look at the Old Testament, you see that the Messiah would be a coming king, he would be a servant, he would be a person, and he would be God. And so that's the views of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Well, as you look at it and you realize that the New Testament, the Gospels, actually show that. Matthew presents and shows Jesus as the fulfillment of the king of the Jews. Matthew presents him as the king. When you study the Gospel of Mark, Mark presents Jesus as the servant of Jehovah who's come to do the will of the Father. When you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke presents Jesus Christ as the man. And that's, of course, Luke is where we get the Christmas story about the baby being born and the early years of Jesus' life and all of that. So we see Jesus as the man. And then the Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as God in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John chapter 1. So what we see is the four Gospels are actually giving us the four views of the Messiah from the Old Testament. So it's really, really powerful. And that might help you that as you study it, when, you, when you're reading the Gospel of Mark, realize that Mark is trying to show Jesus as the servant. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, which we're going to be doing in the next couple of two or three weeks as we look at Christmas story, we're going to see Jesus is presented as a man. And of course, if you're wanting to help somebody understand who Jesus is and trust in him, you would tell them to read the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John presents Jesus as God who is the Savior. So we've studied Matthew, and Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king, the king of the Jews. Now, we gave this out at the very beginning. We gave this card. If you remember, most of you, a lot of you have the card. It's still out on the table out there. On one side of the card we have, and this is, of course, a little card, but it says it gives you the Matthew as the author and the theme, and then it gives you the outline of the gospel of Matthew. That's an abbreviated outline. It's not detailed. And then on the flip side, it actually says here's the gospel of Matthew, here's the date, here's the theme, and it talks about kind of the overview, and then it gives you sort of the flow like the lineage, the birth, the sermons on the mount, that gives you the flow of all of those things. And so uh, we realized that Matthew was written to show, Israel, to show to Israel and to all that Jesus Christ is the king. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look like at that card, and we're going to just kind of trace through the key sections of the book of Matthew. And what I want you to see as we go through this is that Matthew over and over and over presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. And it's very important because if you were studying Mark, you'd see something else. If you're studying Luke, you'd see something else, that he was the man. If you're studying the Gospel of John, you'd see that he's God. Matthew presents him as the king. So let's start, and we're going to go fairly quickly through all of this, but we're going to start by seeing the background. And if you have your Bibles and you're turned to Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 1 of the Gospel of Matthew. It begins this way. The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, when we start the gospel of Matthew, Matthew is presenting Jesus Christ as the king. So what does he do? At the very beginning, he says, this is the genealogy. This is the background of Jesus Christ. And he calls him the son of David and the son of Abraham. The truth is this. If you're going to be the king of the Jews, you've got to be a descendant of Abraham and you've got to be a descendant of David. And so he is, Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. 
David. It goes all the way through back to the promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, that David was promised he'd have a son who would sit on the throne of Israel forever. That is the Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. Abraham was, of course, promised a land, a seed, and a blessing, but that all the world would be blessed through Abraham. That is the Messiah. So at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says, Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of King David. And he goes on to say, even in verse 16, that he is called the Christ. And so that's the background. The second thing is the birth. Now, the birth of Matthew in Matthew is not exactly at the birth, because if you remember, in Matthew chapter 2, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi came. You remember that Jesus was born, in the night that Jesus was born, the shepherds came. And almost two years later, as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, two years later after Jesus was born, wise men come from the east. We know it was close to two years because when Herod the king tried to find out when they first saw the star, they figured it up in about two years. And so it probably took the wise men close to two years to get there. When they got there, what is their question? Now, here's the key. Then they came to Jerusalem and they said, where is he who is what? Born king of the Jews. His background and his lineage goes back to King David and to Abraham as the, as the king of the Jews. And now he's born king of the Jews. And the wise men, they come looking for him. If you remember, and this is why some people get confused, and if you see most manger type scenes, you've got the shepherds and, and Mary and Joseph and the baby, and then you've got the wise men standing there with a camel or something like that. But you have to realize that the night Jesus was born, the shepherds were there. And almost two years later, the wise men came, and they came, and they found Jesus in a house, and he was a little boy. He was not a baby. And so we can see those kind of things anyway, but they're saying he's the one born king of the Jews. Well, after that, then we see his ministry. And what did he do? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, from that time, now that's kind of a key time in the gospel of Matthew, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice the kingdom of heaven. It says Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the king is there. And so as we looked at this, he's saying, you, you now need to recognize who I am. The king is on the earth. And that's why he says, change their mind. He wanted the nation of Israel to accept who he was. And, of course, they missed him. They didn't believe in him. Some of them did. Many, many people did. But religious leaders as a whole and other people did not. And what did he do? Now, I want you to see this in this ministry. What did he do? In Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming, notice, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. And so when you think about Jesus, he was teaching, he's teaching the truths from the Bible. He was proclaiming the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom is that the king is here, believe in him and you'll have life. And, and that, cause that's why Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and you'll have eternal life. And that was the gospel of the kingdom. Of course he healed and he did the healing so that people would see who he is and recognize who he is. Now, so Jesus, when you think back, his background and lineage, he's the king of the Jews. He was born king of the Jews. When he starts his ministry, he's proclaiming the kingdom, the, that the king is here. Right in the middle of the gospel of Matthew, there is, we find the parables. And if you notice, they're the parables of the kingdom. They're not the parables of the church. They're the parables of the kingdom. And Matthew 13 deals with the kingdom. And I just want you to see this. I'm not trying to teach anything today. We've taught this a long time ago. But I just want you to see this deals with the kingdom. Look at this parable. Parable in chapter 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the 
kingdom. And then he goes on and says, evil one comes snatches away. Later on he says, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. And notice this, a little bit later, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And then another one, he says, he spoke in verse 33, he spoke another parable to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So what I want you to see is that in Jesus' ministry and what he did and what he taught, he's presenting himself as the king and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and he's talking about him being the king. Now, as we continue on, I want you to see his life and rejection. And when we think about life, there's going to be really two things I want you to see. Let me, let me put it this way. The life, and I want you to turn with me because I've been putting a lot of the verses up, but go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Okay, I'll give everybody just a second <clears throat> to get there. And I want you to see something that is amazing. And this is dealing with his life, and this is dealing with the fact that he's the king of the Jews. Now, just remember this. He's the king of kings and the king of the Jews, and he's presenting himself as that. And Matthew, when he writes the gospel, presents Jesus as the king. So look at Matthew chapter 16. Look at the very last verse, verse 28 of the chapter, and notice Jesus is talking, and he's been talking to the disciples. He's been telling them that, 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 that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. He's telling them that if you want to live for him, if you want to make an impact, then you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. Now, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about discipleship. Then at the very end, look at verse 28. What does he say? He says, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus says there'll be people, there'll be some of his disciples who will not die until they see him coming in the kingdom or as the kingdom or in, in his kingdom. Well, we'd say, well, how is that possible? Because we know that they all died and the kingdom hadn't come yet and Jesus is going to come in the future as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How is that going to happen? Well, if you notice the very next verse, which is the start of chapter 17, notice what it says. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light, and it was Moses and Elijah with him. And what happened, and this is, of course, the verses right there, and, and what happened is Jesus is showing them what he's going to be like when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why he said, some of you will not die until you see me as coming in the kingdom. Well, he takes them on top of the mountain and is transfigured figured before them, showing them what he is like as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the coming king of the world and the earth. And they saw him. And if you remember that they were so, they were just taken by it. And there was Moses and Elijah and source Peter came up and said, you know, this is really good that we're here. Maybe we ought to get three little booths, put one for you and Moses and Elijah, but all three and we could just watch. Then a cloud came and it was the father. And he said, this is my beloved son, hear what he has to say. And then they looked up and everybody was gone and it was just Jesus. And as they walked down from the mountain, Jesus said, don't tell anybody about this until I am risen from the dead. So he wanted them to see what he's like as the king. Now there's one other special event that happened in his ministry dealing with the fact that he was king. And this, if you remember, he got ready to come into Jerusalem. It's what we call Palm Sunday. But he's coming and he's at the top of the Mount of Olives and he's at a little town called Bethage. And he says... Go over to the village opposite, which was most likely Bethany, another little town, little bitty villages right at the top of the Mount of Olives, and he said, you'll find a, a, a donkey there. You'll find it, and there's a colt. Go get that 
and bring it here, and I'm going to write it in. And they went and found it. In fact, they actually said to him, what are we going to do? Because they may say, you can't steal somebody's donkey. And he said, just tell them the Lord needs it. And they went there, and they started untying the donkey, and somebody said, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord needs it. And they said, oh, okay, take it. And they took it, and they got, and Jesus got on it, and they came into the city. And they came down the Mount of Olives, and people were shouting and, and saying all this. And notice, this fulfilled, this is his offer. This fulfills what was spoken through the prophet. The prophet is Zechariah 9, 9, those verses that I showed you earlier that shows him as the king. It says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, donkey, even the colt, the fold of a donkey. Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding the donkey, just as Zechariah 9, 9 said would happen. Happen. If you remember, it was just an amazing thing. As he comes in, the people are putting their coats down. They're trying to make it. They're putting branches, everything down, and they're shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A lot of people think Hosanna means praise him, but it doesn't. Hosanna means save us. And so they're shouting, save us, because he's the king, and he's coming to Jerusalem. And in their minds, a lot of them are thinking, he's coming in Jerusalem as the king, and he's going to remove those Romans, and we're going to be okay. But that's not his plan at this point. But he's coming in Jerusalem as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We saw his life, but we also saw his rejection. The religious leaders, you know what they ask him? By what authority do you have to do what you're doing? What authority do you have to cleanse the temple? What authority do you have to claim that you're God? What authority do you have? And they rejected him. And when they did that, there was the arrest and the trials and his death. And at all of this, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is the king, the king of the Jews. Notice this right here. When they charged him, when he went before the Jews, they ultimately had to say, before the Jews, you claim to be the son of God. But before the Romans, because they knew the Romans wouldn't care whether he was God or not, because they had a lot of gods, they knew that he couldn't be the king, and so that before the Romans, he was charged as the king of the Jews. And notice this, that when Jesus stood before the governor, that was Pilate, and the governor questioned him, saying, so you, so you are the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. He's going to be crucified as the king of the Jews. And if you remember, that they, they found him guilty. They mocked him. They beat him. What did the Roman soldiers do? After twisting together a crown of thorns. Why do you make a crown of thorns? Because they say, oh, you're a king. You're king of the Jews. They twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him. Why? They're mocking him. And they mocked him saying, hell, king of the Jews. And so we see his background as king of the Jews. He's born king of the Jews. His ministry is king of the Jews. He's arrested as king of the Jews. And what happens to him? He's crucified as king of the Jews. And if you remember when they put him on the cross, the sign above the cross, what did it say? And they put above his head the charge read against him, uh, against him which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. He was born king, he lived as king, and he died as king. But that's not the end. If we ended there, it would be a pretty sad book. In fact, it would be a pretty sad everything. But we know that he rose from the grave. We have seen for the last weeks of the last part of the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen the appearances of Jesus Christ. He rose from the grave, and he walked on the earth, guess what, for 40 days. Now, I've got something. You don't have to turn there. But in the book of Acts, what did he do? What did he teach in that 40-day time period? What did he teach during the 40-day time period? The kingdom of God. Listen to this. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. 
To these, he presented himself alive, talking about his disciples. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. His background's kingdom of God. He was born king of God. He lived king of God. He died king of God. He rose as, and taught about being the king and the kingdom of God. As we ended our book last time, we saw in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know how he has all authority? Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king of kings. He is the ruler of the universe. Now, I want you to understand something. We've talked about this a lot of times. We Christians are not God's people. Now, what I mean by that is God has a chosen people group which is the nation of Israel. He chose them with Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and the offspring. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We're the the bride of Christ. So we're different, but we're not the chosen people. Jewish people are the chosen people. He is the king of the Jews. He will have a throne in Jerusalem, the throne of David, and he will rule in righteousness and justice for a thousand years on this earth. He also is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our King. He rules every aspect of the world. When the thousand years is here and Jesus is on the throne in Jerusalem, there'll be this whole world and we'll be there and he'll be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One day when he makes a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and it all comes down, he is the King and the ruler of the entire universe. Angels, men, people, world, everything. He indeed is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the universe. And so as we think about this study, we have seen his background, he's the king. His birth, he's the king. His ministry, he's the king. As he offered himself, uh, as he came into Jerusalem, as he stood on the Mount of Transfiguration showing that he's the king, his rejection was the king. His arrest and crucifixion was as the king. His resurrection and commission, he is the king. Matthew shows us that Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the king of kings, and the Lord of Lords. That's who he is. And as we think about even Christmas, and we think about the baby born in Bethlehem, and we realize that the baby born in Bethlehem is not just a baby. He's not just a great young man. He indeed is the eternal Son of God who has come to the earth as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Savior of the world. So let me give you some applications as we close this morning. First one is this. Let's understand that Jesus is the king. That's who he is, the king of kings, Lord of lords. Let me just say this. If we were studying the gospel of Mark, we'd say, let's understand that Jesus is the servant. And if we were studying the gospel of Luke, we'd say, let's understand that Jesus is the perfect man. And if we were studying the gospel of John, we'd say, let's understand that Jesus Christ is God. But when we study the gospel of Matthew, we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the king. He is the king of the Jews. And he'll take the throne of his father, David, and he will rule in righteousness and justice. He will rule with a rod of iron, Psalm 2. He is the king of kings. He is our king. He will rule 
all the world and we will come under his authority as the king of kings. He is the coming king. One of these days, he's coming back as the king of kings. The first time he came to die, he offered himself as the final, he offered, offered himself as the king. He was rejected, so he was the final sacrifice for sin forever. The first time he came to die, the second time he will come to reign as the king of kings. Let me remind you again, this is his first coming to die. This is the second coming to reign. Now, we, most people, we've talked about this so many times, but after the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, the church began with the body of Christ. When he's days he's going to come in the clouds. That's not the second coming. This is a rapture. The believers are taken off the face of the earth. There'll be a tribulation time period which goes back to the Jewish people and their 490 years that God promised them in the book of Daniel. And at the end of that, Jesus will come a second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we will be coming with him. And Jesus will come riding. Revelation 19, 11, I saw the heavens open, and he's coming riding on a white horse. And guess what? We're all riding what? When we're coming with him, we're all riding white horses. And we're coming as the King of Kings, we're coming with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so it's going to be amazing. So what should we do? Let's worship him. Let's fall down before him. Listen, we sing songs and we think about Christmas. And when I think of Christmas, I always think of the birth of the baby. And you remember the shepherds that night. They came in there and they found him. And what did they do when they found him? They worshiped him. And then two years later, when the wise men came and they finally got the word and they got to the little house and there he was, what did they do? They worshiped him. What are we supposed to do? We're to worship him. You remember we saw when Mary Magdalene and the women, and every time somebody saw the resurrected Lord, the first thing they did was fall at his feet and worship him. We gather together every Sunday morning, and we gather together not just to be taught the Bible or just to sing songs. We gather together to worship Jesus Christ as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study, all acts of worship for our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, our provider, our protector, and our king. The second thing is let's serve him. Let's serve him because he has complete authority. He is the one in which one day he will set up a kingdom and he will rule for a thousand years and then he'll rule for all eternity. And all of us who know Christ will be in the kingdom and we want to hear him say what? Well done good and faithful servant. We want to have served him now so we'll get to serve him then, that we'll have places of responsibility. So with the gifts and talents and abilities that we have, use those gifts, talents, and abilities to serve our creator, our God, and our king. Finally, let's remember this thing. Let's fulfill the great commission. That's the very end of the gospel of Matthew. That's to make disciples. When you see the sign of our church, it says, proclaiming Christ, training believers. That's what the great commission is. That's what making disciples is. Leading people to Christ, identifying them with Christ, and then training them, teaching them, observe all which you have commanded. And so as we think about the Christmas season, and, and we're going to uh, finish with this. I've got one more message next week dealing with grace. It's beautiful. And then we're going to have Christmas messages. And then after Christmas, we'll start our study of First Samuel. And it's going to be unique because it's a narrative. It's a narrative like we just finished a narrative, but it's a narrative, and it has so many things in there. But at this Christmas season, let's remember who we are. We belong to the King. He is our God, He is our Savior, He is our Redeemer, He is everything. We get to represent Him, so let's go and tell people the real reason for Christmas, and let's make disciples.